Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. talking this morning, kind of setting up and preparing us um, for the next couple of Sundays with our guest speaker. Um, But, you know, I I got to thinking about this when I was putting my notes together. You know, as a pastor, my job is not necessarily to fill up the church. Like, we always want and hope that the church would grow because it means that more people are finding the beauty of Jesus Christ and, and trusting him with their lives. But my job is not really to fill up the church or grow the church numerically, my, my job is really to grow our church spiritually, to grow us to be spiritually healthy and, and well-connected with God. And, and then if we are each in tune with God and, and kind of spiritually healthy, the church is going to grow on its own. And so that's my focus, really, is, is going back to, getting back to the basics and getting back to the, the, the instructions of Jesus that he left um, before he you know, lifted off from the earth and, and kind of entrusted his movement into the hands of his followers, um, Basically, my job is, is to make disciples, and in terms of how many disciples, that's really up to God and whoever he puts in our path. Can I hear an amen from somebody? I can't save anybody. Hello. Ask my wife. I can't save anybody. I can't even fix most things. Just, you know, it, it's, we're weak on, in our own, but we don't have to save people. We just have to tell them about the beauty of Jesus Christ and let God do the part that only God can do. Can I hear once more an amen? <clears throat> there was a, uh, I ran into a quote. It's been maybe a year or two ago, and I have this quote actually on my phone, and every once in a while I I bump it up and I, I look at it again and I cannot find who it was that said it, but I wanted to share this with you. The, the measure of an effective church is not how many people attend, but how many people live differently as a result of attending. And that's really what I want to focus on. That's really what I hope to focus on in, in my ministry. And so I, I want very much in my teaching and in my preaching to Help us, you know, see what doing, you know, the the Jesus life might look like in our area and in our time and our day and age, but also to encourage and and to inspire us, especially, again, those that are somewhat newer to the City Grace family. I, I want to encourage you and I want to inspire you to be full of God's grace, to be full of God's spirit, to not, you know, come to God and and trust him for forgiveness of your sins and then, you know, leave the building and, and try and do life without him and on your own. And so again, next two Sundays, we'll be having a, our, our guest speaker, Mark Drost. And, you know, my, my dad was so, he was my hero, you know, growing up. He is my hero. And he was so gifted in inspiration and exhortation. And then he was a teacher too. And dad kind of had everything. And I'm kind of a one trick pony. Um, and I, I just feel like I'm a teacher. I feel that, that what, that's what God has, has gifted me with. And so I'm excited, again, over the next two Sundays to bring in another kind of voice and, and to give our, our City Grace family another type of preaching and another type of spiritual encouragement, someone that I feel very strongly is, is able to kind of lead us into a, personal, a time of personal spiritual refle- uh, refreshing. So, so next week... And the week after that, I want you guys to come and expecting, and if you're, you're newer to the church family, come with a little bit of daring and adventure, all right? We're going to step into some places and some experiences with God that maybe, you know, we, we haven't experienced before, um, but we're going we're gonna to find God leading us into some beautiful new realities. And, and so for some people, though, when you start talking like this, like it gets a little bit scary, Right? Like, what in the world are you talking about? You know, if I come next week, is that when y'all break out the snakes? Or, you know, what's, 
what, what's going, none of that's happening, I promise. Um, you know, or or we, we worry about who's watching. We worry about what people are gonna think of us or what people are gonna say about. And it really, a lot of the reason that we worry about that is for this fact right here. We are pretenders. Come on, somebody with Facebook. Can I hear an honest amen in church this morning? We are pretenders. Some of y'all are living the best life when I read your Facebook feed. I'm jealous, man. You guys seem to always be at the hottest restaurants, doing the hottest thing, got the latest fashion, all that kind of stuff. And then I see you guys rolling up to Wednesday night. It's a lie. It's a lie, somebody. Come on, I, I've seen you without your hair combed. And, you know, I, I've seen you, yeah, you know, we've been doing life for, for a little while together. You know what I'm talking about. I've seen James. No, I'll just leave that alone. I'm talking about James Hightower. I'm going to leave that alone. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, we've been through a lot. I, I'm leaving it alone because he's got more embarrassing stories about me probably. But we are, we are, we're pretenders. We, we like to pretend that we have everything together. We like to be the cool, calm, and collected one, right? We got our finances on point. JL, is JL in here? Got our clothes on fleek. She's embarrassed. I have no idea what that means. Our relationships are thriving. Careers taken off like a, I'm 42 years old. I should not be using words like fleek. I, it's just not. Our career is just taken off like, you know, a rocket. And the reality is, come on, somebody. We're like one paycheck away from being hungry. But again, you look at our Facebook feed and everything is going great. But we wish we were the cool kids. We wish we were the ones with popped collars and sunglasses and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the kind that show no emotion at anything that happened. You ever meet somebody like that, you know? Like just, you know, they see the most amazing thing and they're like, coo, coo. You know, they don't even put the L on the end of the word. Just coo. You know, just that's, that's how we, we want to be those kinds of kids. What about being the kind of kids that are crazy and have a lot of fun? Come on, somebody. What about being nerds and goofy? Nerds of the world, unite. Can I hear? Yes, thank you. Amen. Can count to 20 without fingers and toes. We're, we're good. What about being the kind of kids that get crazy when mom and dad, anybody remember when you were a little kid and mom and dad came, mom or dad came home and like you would miss them all day and you know, like the kids go crazy. You guys know what I'm talking about? Remember being those kinds of kids? Remember being the kind of kids that had this face? Like you remember just like not caring what anybody thought? Like somebody said ice cream and that's what we look like? Somebody said McDonald's and that's what we look? We didn't say cool, cool. We were like first ones out the door. Like we didn't, we didn't care if our clothes were on fleek or off fleek. We did not... You know, the kind of kids that ran and jumped when dad came home or mom came home. And, you know, uh, I remember Caleb went through this really long season of life where he would never run to the door and greet me when I came home. I remember that. And I was so disappointed in my son. And Chelsea told me, like, he's only three months old. Just give it a little while. But, you know, I just, I want that kind of exuberance and that relationship and that excitement from my kids. That's what I want. And that's what I want to be when it comes to my relationship 
with my heavenly father. I don't want to be cool, cool. I want to be crazy, excited about the presence and the reality of God. I am so happy on the inside. It's like, oh, Bumpy and bubbly. Bumpy's not a good way. It's just crazy in there because I love Jesus. I love what Jesus has done for me. And I can't wait to see what he does next. I love my heavenly father. And I want him to know it. I don't want him to guess it. I want him to know it. I want to show it. I want to throw my hands in the air and wave them like I just, oh, come on, somebody, on Sunday morning. Can I hear a very excited praise and gratitude to your heavenly Father? Come on, take 30 seconds and let God know that you love him. This should be every Christian's face. In church, come on, turn to somebody. You got to do it. Turn to somebody and make the face. Come on. Come on. This should be every Christian. <laughs> it's really funny from up here. It's just, <clears throat> this should be every Christian's face at church time. It shouldn't be Sunday morning, 9.50, and you're sad. I don't care if your shoes are mismatched. I don't care if you can't find the, the keys or maybe a kid. You know, leave one of them at home. Pray for angels. Just, just get excited about seeing Jesus. I, when it's small group time, get excited about seeing Jesus. When it's prayer time, get excited about talking. Mmm, mmm. That God would talk to me. That God would call me a son. That God would call you a daughter. That he would adopt us and love us. Oh, Jesus, put this in my heart every time that I think about who you are. Jesus. Mm -hmm. Come on, just take some time. Be honest right now. If you don't know how to, listen, hold on, I, this isn't in my notes. If you don't know how to pray, this is the most beautiful time. Would you do me a favor? And if you already know how to pray, then you can just, you know, whatever. You pray with us too. But for those that think you don't know how to pray, would you just do this with me? All over this room, could we just close our eyes right now? And come on, you don't know how to pray. You're not sure what words to say. Say that to God right now. Come on, all over this room, begin to say your own personal prayer. And if you're not sure what to say, just tell him, God, I don't even know what to say, but I feel something in this room. I feel something in this moment, and I, I don't know how exactly to say it or the right words to use, but I just want you to know that I like what I feel when I'm in the presence of God. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Come on, do you feel that right now? Do you feel that in this room? Come on. Again, this isn't in my notes, but just take a moment and stay there. Jesus, we love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. There are, <clears throat> excuse me this morning, I apologize, something's going on. There, there's a couple of, I guess I should have put a different slide up for the intermediary, but you guys got to stare at this kid for a bit. I forgot to put a transitional slide. There's a couple of different examples in the Bible. As I was thinking about this and, and how we should feel about God and how should we should come to God. And, you know, I say that not like what you should do, like me pointing a finger, but like what naturally we should feel, what should be just an expected result 
of our knowledge of who God is and what he has done and what he has called us to. And, and there's a couple of different examples of this. And one of them is in Matthew chapter 17, the very first uh, letter or document in the new part of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the first one, Matthew. Matthew was one of Jesus' closest followers. And so he was there and saw everything he did and heard everything he said and wrote it down for us. And, and he tells us of a time in Matthew 17, the end of Matthew 17, heading into chapter 18, and Jesus met up with his disciples in Galilee. He had been apart from them for a little bit, and then he kind of came back together, and they went to this different city called Capernaum. And while they were there, people were always trying to attack Jesus, always trying to attack his followers. And so some of them came to one of his closest followers, Simon Peter, and we talked about him last week. And they asked him, hey, you know there's a, a tax here that we have to pay if we're Jewish people and it, it goes towards supporting the temple and doesn't your teacher like even pay that common tax? Does, what does he feel he's better than all of us? You know, and Peter says, no, no, no. We, we pay the temple tax. We're just out of money right now. Cool, cool, cool. You know, just like we just don't have the money. And so he comes back to Jesus and Jesus knows what's going on and he asks him, Simon, he calls him Simon. And then he kind of does that trick. Anybody ever seen the quarter behind the, the ear trick? Like you ever had an uncle do that to you? You're like, what's that behind your ear? And they pull out a quarter and you go, oh, it's just amazing. It's just, Jesus did that, but he used a fish. Not like he pulled a fish from behind his ear, but like he told him to go catch a fish. And when Peter caught the fish, he opened the fish's mouth and there was uh, not a quarter, but the coin, the money that he needed to pay that tax. And Jesus was showing him like, I've got this all under control. It's cool, cool. You know, everything's good. And Peter was just, you know, amazed. And so then th that's at the end of chapter 17, but then the original writings, there's no chapter break. So immediately after that, his disciples come to Jesus and they're like, okay, you know, clearly, you got the skills to take your show kind of on a global tour, you know? So we want to know who's going to be like vice president in your movement. And Jesus is thinking like, you guys are getting all of this wrong. I just performed a, a miracle. I just gave you something that should have filled you with awe and wonder. And so he's like, you know, I, I've got to explain this to him. And so he calls a little child to him and he, he places the child among the disciples and he tells him, hey, truly I tell you, Unless you change, like knock off your personal aspirations and your personal ambitions and your cold and calculating and maneuvering ways, unless you change and you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child, that person is the greatest in the kingdom of of heaven. And this is just my interpretation. If you want to disagree with me, you can on this. I don't mind. I won't get offended. But I think Jesus is trying to tell him, look, you guys just saw me do the most, you know, one of the most incredible things. Just you saw me perform this miracles, this miracle. And now you're wondering how you can leverage your relationship with me to get better position or power. Can't you just be in awe of the miracle for a second? Can't you just be? I mean, think about it. When you do the quarter behind the ear trick with a kid. Which kid do you want more? The kid that says, well, I know exactly how you did that. No, you don't want that kid. Come on, you're gonna throw that kid out of the house. Like get a, 
You want the kid that's amazed and their eyes light up and their mouth drops open and they say, do it again, right? Or they run and they grab a soccer ball and say, make this one happen. You know, like, so just can you, like, you know, we, that's what Jesus is telling them. This should have filled you with awe and with wonder at who I am and what I can do on your behalf. This should have filled them with childlike wonder that if Jesus can do this, anything is possible. And I think sometimes we miss that in our relationship with God. We're so concerned about our own image and about our own agenda and about what's in it for us that we miss the awe and the wonder and the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. Because from the highest to the lowest, from the richest to the poorest, Jesus Christ has offered forgiveness for our sins, restoration for our souls. And it should fill us with awe. It should fill us with wonder. And again, you can disagree with me, but look at the fix for their attitude. Their fix was to become more childlike, to get lost in the wonder of a reality where anything is possible with Jesus. Anything is possible with Jesus. There's another example in scripture that's, it's not a story, but it's a teaching. And Paul, he comes on the scene a lot later and actually after Jesus is already resurrected or resurrected and ascended back to heaven and Paul comes on and he's an interesting story. Paul hated Christians. If you don't like Christians, you would have liked Paul. He hated Christians and, and he tried to arrest Christians and have them killed even, have them thrown in jail. But he ends up getting changed because he met the resurrected Jesus and meeting the resurrected Jesus filled him with that awe and that wonder and it completely changed his life so much that he was no longer the, the greatest antagonist of the church, but he became the greatest church planner of his time. And, and so he, you know, he, he's writing to a, 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 a church in Rome that he was kind of an, a shepherd of, even though he wasn't there. And it was a miracle what God had done to the believers in Rome because Romans and Jewish people were just at odds. They did not like one another. Rome was occupying Israel at the time and the Jews just hated the Romans. And, but through the transformational power of God living in these people, these enemies, these natural enemies had become brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, and they cared for each other and, and gave to each other. And he writes to them in a letter, in your, again, in your New Testament called Romans in chapter eight. And he's reminding them about the kind of life that, that's made possible by this miracle power of Jesus, the possibilities that could come and by, you know, of living life by the Holy Spirit. And as he's kind of searching for a way to illustrate this and searching for a way to show them what is possible in living life by the Spirit. He lands on this idea of childlikeness that Jesus talked about. And he says in Romans chapter eight and verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. He's telling them, if you're a child of God, it's like God's Spirit is taking you by the hand to lead you somewhere. It's not like the kind of parents that put the leashes on their kids. And no judging on anyone here that has a leash with them this morning. God bless you. You haven't lost any children yet. But God is a good parent, he's saying. He takes you by the hand through his Holy Spirit and he wants to lead you into places that you might never explore on your own. He wants to lead you into experiences and realities 
that you might never get to on your own. And he goes on in verse 15, he tells them, the spirit you receive, it does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. In other words, God is not standing over you with a whip trying to crack it on your back like some cruel taskmaster. God is not making you work for his benefit, but rather God has done something amazing for your benefit. Can I hear an amen from somebody? And he goes on, rather the spirit that you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And it's by that spirit that we now cry, Abba, Father, that we once spiritually, we were cut off from God. We were dead to God. We were far away from God. We rejected God. We pushed God out of the way. We left God out of our lives, except for those times when we really, really needed him, right? And then we made those promises, right? God, if you will, then I promise I will. God, if you will, then I promise I won't ever again. Come on, somebody honest in church ever prayed a prayer like that. And you know you didn't keep your end of the bargain. I know because I never kept my end of the bargain. And what he is saying, the spirit that you have received is like a spirit of adoption. And even though you are apart from God and separated and severed from God, he has adopted you as his own son. He has made you his own daughter so that you can be led by his spirit. And it's the spirit that you've received that makes you cry, Abba, Father, And I say Abba, and most of you are thinking from a really bad music group from the 70s, but that's not what he's talking about. He's saying it's a a spirit that makes you cry Abba, and that's an Aramaic word. And why didn't he, you know, why is all this is written in Greek originally, right? And, And why in the world did Paul throw an Aramaic word in there? And the reason that they did is because there's no exact equivalent for this word in the Greek. There's no exact equivalent in English, but the closest we have is that word picture that I talked about a little while ago when a mom or a dad walks in the door and that kid just leaves everything they're touching and everything they're doing and everything they're messing with and they run for mommy. They run for daddy. That is the idea and the word picture behind this word Abba. And Paul is saying, when you were adopted by your God, it should not make you afraid of your God anymore, but it should change the way you feel about God. So that now when you think about God, you get derpy face like the kid had. You run to God. You can't wait to get to God. You can't wait to talk to him and say thank you and tell him you love him and you're so excited. That's the spirit that you have received. But man, that's a completely different way of thinking about God than a lot of us have thought about God for a really, really long time. Right? Not too many people think of God and have this attitude. Maybe this is one of the reasons, you know, not having this attitude. Maybe this is one of the reasons that you haven't been to church in a while. Maybe this is one of the reasons you haven't, you know, really given your life all the way to God or made him your king like in every aspect of life because you don't really see him this way. You don't really see him as a loving father who wants nothing from you but wants everything for you. That proved by the cross that if he died for you, that he is in fact 
for you. And you don't have to be afraid of him anymore. But when you come into a place like this or a moment like this, it doesn't even have to be this place. When you come into a moment like this, there should be something on the inside of you and of me that no longer sees God as someone to turn our face away from and someone to hide ourselves from. But it is something in us brand new, a new way of feeling and thinking about God that causes us to run and to turn to him with full face, looking him directly in the eye letting him know that we understand his love and we feel the same way about him. But a lot of us don't have that. We have an expectation of relationship with God based on fear. Too many people have a a transactional idea of their relationship with God. If I do bad things, then God pays me with bad things. But if I do a few good things, then God will pay me with good things. But we never stop to calculate how much good thing, how many many good things you gotta do to kind of wipe out all the bad things you've done. Think about it. What's the equation? What's the formula? What's the exchange rate when it comes to bad things and good things? And the answer is there is no exchange rate. That is an idea that God does not have. That's something that you came up with on your own or maybe somebody told that to you. But it does not matter how many bad things you've done. There was one thing that happened and it didn't happen from you and it didn't happen from me. It was him coming into our world and proving his love by dying on the cross and covering our sins and covering all of the bad things that we have done so that now our relationship is not one of taskmaster and slave. It is a relationship of father and child. Father and child relationship where the kids run to the father. Say, Abba. It's like saying daddy. It's like saying mommy. Abba, it's joyful. It's exuberant. It's happy, it's engaged, it's connected, it's realizing that God is present. But too many of us avoid being childlike with God because we're afraid that we'll be seen by others as childish because we're pretenders. We're pretenders. We don't want to get emotional in church. Don't make me cry in church. Don't make me think about fact that I'm lost without God in church. I'm trying to keep everything cool and calm and collected. Got to make everybody think that I got everything together. And if I act excited to see God, then it must be because he had to forgive me of a lot of bad stuff. Yeah, he did. But not just you. He had to forgive me too and the person sitting next to you. And you really don't want to know the story of the person sitting behind you. Like God has done so much for all of us and it's time for us to stop worrying about what people think, to stop worrying about how it might make us look and instead run to God with a kind of enthusiasm and excitement that is worthy, that is deserving of what he has given to us. I I love feeling this way about my God. I'm sorry, but not sorry. You know, I I just love feeling this way about my God. I love coming together with my church family and clapping and singing. I love it because my God has been so good to me. 
I love coming into his presence and lifting hands and opening my mouth and singing praises and let our king be lifted up because he's done so much for me. I love the fact that I laugh and I smile when I go to church because I can't wait to feel the presence of my God again. I love the fact that I I don't care anymore when I wave my hands in the air and it's not because I'm something great. No, first of all, it comes from a parent's heritage, but it also comes from an understanding that I want you to have as well, City Grace, that God has been amazing to you, that God has shown you love and mercy that is undeserved and when he gives us something so beautiful what other response could there be what other response should there be but for us to throw our hands in the air and raise our voices in praise and love and adoration come on can you do that this morning come on can you take some time tell him that you love him When I was an orphan, he adopted me. I made a mess of my life. He taught me how everything could be put right. When I can't figure it out on my own, he takes me by the hand and he leads me. He leads me. And I can't help it, but I don't want to help it. He's Abba. He's my father. He's my father. And I love, I love, I love, I love my heavenly father. I love my heavenly father. But we get comfortable with just a bit of God sometimes. We get comfortable just having controlled and calculated religious expressions, right? We don't want to be too crazy, right? Come on, somebody. And then people go to Raiders games. What in the world? They scream and yell at each other, drink from adult sippy cups, Spill things all over the place, go crazy, clap, scream, yell, all for a team that's leaving you and going to Las Vegas. Come on, come on. (laughs) Yeah, I had to throw that in there. I'm a Niners fan. Uh, Don't clap, they're sad, it's bad. Better than the Cowboys, Calvin. That's all I got to say. That's all I got. But we get so uncomfortable. We, we want to control ourselves in the presence of God. We don't live a life or an experience with God that looks anything like Abba, Father. Our religious lives are completely missing. They're completely empty from that childlike exuberance of being a son, being a daughter of the infinite creator, God who loves us more than anyone ever has or ever could. Jesus, put your joy into our lives. Jesus, put your love into our lives. Flood us with the realization and the understanding of your grace, Jesus, that leads us. And maybe it will be in baby steps, since we're talking about children. Maybe it will be in baby steps, but Jesus, lead us to the place of joy and excitement in your presence in your beautiful presence. But I get it. We're, we're kind of scared to be labeled fanatics, especially in today's hyper-photographed, hyper-videoed, hyper-shared world, right? Fanatics, quite frankly, are frightening. I've been a Christian my whole life. I think I can say I am qualified as a Christian insider. Frankly, some Christian fanatics scare me. 
But being a fanatic, being a fan of God, can I just say today, it does not mean that you need to stand on a street corner with a megaphone. If you're a fanatic of God, it doesn't mean that you need to put a bumper sticker on your car that tells atheists they're going to hell. That does not make you a fanatic of God. Don't do it. Their bumper stickers are funnier. I've read them. They're better. Like we, we have to be nice at some point. They don't have any kind of inhibition. You know, being a fanatic of God doesn't mean that you share those things on Facebook, right? Like if you read this and don't share it, you will develop skin lesions. You know, like you've seen posts like that, right? Type amen and share three times and God will send you a miracle. No, he won't. Don't believe that junk. That's not being a fanatic of God because that's some foreign definition of what it means to be crazy about God. When we read the words of Jesus, when we read the words of Paul, being a fanatic and being crazy about our God is more like children being fans of a great, great father. And so being a fanatic of God, it's none of those things, but it is singing joyfully. It's none of those things, but it is grateful hearts that are so glad he has changed our attitude and our disposition. It's about coming together and clapping and waving our arms together. That's what it means to be crazy about your God. But we don't live there. We don't live there. That's the attitude of childlikeness with God. But, you know, we don't live there. And, you know, this is what some of what it's like to be a God fanatic. This is some of what it's like to love our Father and we stop short so often, too many times. We're a little bit scared of what other people are going to think, what other people are going to say. And there's a guy in, in the book of Acts, is, you know, I'm kind of winding this down this morning. I, I think there's a picture in the book of Acts that shows us someone that had a certain relationship with God, but finally got a call to experience something more. Finally got a call to taste something more. And, and I, I like the book of Acts again in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts comes along. It's like this travel journal of the spread of the early church. And it tells us what happened when people first started experience, uh, experiencing the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. They had never had this before. The Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit sounded as weird to them as it does to some of us. They had never experienced this before. You know, Jesus was there in person, and then Jesus, right in his last few moments, told them, hey, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, and then he left. <laughs> like, you know, what's that all about, right? And, but then this strange thing happened on the birthday of now what we call the church, and the Holy Spirit, the holy presence of God, the living presence of a risen, risen Jesus completely filled them up. And he became their Lord, not just around them. He became their comforter and their, their advisor and, and their protector, not just around them, but he, he became that within them. He stayed with them constantly. It was the universalization of God's active presence. And, and just like us, those early people didn't quite know what to do with it. Just like us, you know, it was a strange way, strange new way of doing church. Just like us, it was way more of a hands-on relationship with God. And some of them liked it and some of them didn't like it. Some of them liked it and some of them struggled and kept trying to reintroduce, you know, kind of old religious ideas. They kept trying to drag in old religious lists of rules or maybe make up new lists of rules. And they weren't really wanting so much to be led by God as to be told by God. 
They weren't really looking for the continual and constant presence of God with them, like a father leading them through life by the hand. We're missing out on something so beautiful. But as different people groups were starting to experience this new relation paradigm with God, I think there's one guy, his name is Cornelius, and I, I think he shows us perfectly what God wants for each and every one of us, that God, in fact, wants more than whatever your limited and inhibited religious experience might be. In Acts chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, it says, At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. And he and all his family were devout and they were God-fearing. So he was an outsider to the Jewish faith. He was an enemy of the Jews, one of the Roman occupiers that was there and patrolling their streets and using their tax money to fund their occupation. But he seems to be kind of a great guy. And maybe like, unlike his Roman fellow soldiers, he was actually someone that was kind to the Jewish people that he was with. And it seems that the reason that he was kind to them was because he was afraid of their God. He was kind of scared of this God that they worshiped. And so he's devout and he fears God and he reverences and honors this God. And in fact, it says in verse two, he gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. He wants to make sure this, this God is not angry with him. He, he finds people that are in need. He gives to them. And he wants to make sure, hey, you saw that, right? Like I gave to this person. He prayed regularly. Hey, you saw that. I want you to know that I'm a good guy. I'm a moral guy. We might even say, if you'll allow me a little bit of liberty this morning, he was a church guy. And none of this went unnoticed by God. In fact, in verse three, it tells us one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. So Cornelius gets God's attention. Now God gets Cornelius's attention. And because when an angel shows up, it's probably a good idea to ask what he wants. Cornelius asks what the angel wants, Right? And so the angel answers in verses four and five, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. So now send men to Joppa, a different city about 30 miles away, to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. Now notice this word now. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon. You've been praying, Cornelius, that's awesome. You've been given to the poor. That's incredible work. We have seen it all. But now, right? It's like those television infomercials at 1 a.m. But wait, there's more. Thank you, somebody. Insomniacs out there in the audience today. You've got God's attention. You're doing okay on your, on your own. But now, there is something more to your religious experience because you are fearing God, but you don't really see God as your dad yet. You're scared of God. You're doing a lot of religious things. You're doing a lot of great religious things that even some other religious people aren't doing. It's amazing, but your attitude towards your God is not childlike. You're thinking of him as your taskmaster and you are his slave. So wait, there's more. And he tells them to send for Peter. But Cornelius didn't want to know God more. He was content with a fear-based relationship with a God he didn't know well. So he ignored the angel's instructions and kept on just trying to be a good guy. 
Yeah, that one's not in the Bible. You can see the reference down there. That's Second Jared chapter 2 and verse 13. I know you guys are wondering what translation I got that one out of right now. That's not in the Bible. Can you imagine if this was the end of the story? Can you imagine if Cornelius, <clears throat> got something in my throat again this morning, was like some of us, this is how the Bible story may have been written. Ow, turn to your neighbor and say, ow. Come on, somebody. <laughs> we laugh at this. We think about this, and we know it's not what the Bible says, but how tragic if this had actually been Cornelius' attitude and Cornelius' experience that, hey, I've got a very controlled measure of God. I've got a very controlled measure of religion, and I don't really want anything else from God. That would have been so tragic because you and I are actually here because Cornelius trusted in a supernatural call to something more. Cornelius had done religious things, but he had not yet seen everything that God wanted to give him. Hello, somebody at City Grace this morning. You may have done a few religious things, but if you don't feel towards God like a child feels when their mom or dad walks through the door, you may not have tasted everything he has for you. You may not have experienced his love like he wants you to. There is more. There is more. He can change your heart. He can change your mind. He can change your life. Tell somebody close to you, man, Jared's yelling a lot. This is the coin trick with Cornelius. This is the coin in the fish's mouth with Cornelius. This is a supernatural signpost that God has something more. And because Cornelius is filled with awe at what he is experiencing, because Cornelius is filled with wonder at what this angel has told him and that God has... Think about it. Why is this even in the Bible? Why is God even going through all this trouble? The reason is, is because God wants you and God wants me a lot more than we realize that God wants you or wants me. We tend to think that God wants something from us. He doesn't. He just wants us. He wants us. And God goes through the trouble because there are people like Cornelius who know about God but can't really say that they know God yet like Abba, like Father. There are people, and maybe you, it's even you in this room, and before you came to City Grace, you didn't even think it was possible to go to church and to smile and to laugh and to enjoy the presence of God, to clap and to sing out loud at the thought that God would love us and that God would call us his sons and his daughters. And we're not even just people to him. We are his offspring. We are made in his image. You know your kid that everybody says looks like you and you feel sorry for the kid? We all have that spark of divinity in us, the image, the impress of our heavenly father. We are 
his offspring. We exist because of his incredible and intricate and mind-blowing human plan. And you exist. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. Your life is not without meaning and not without purpose. There is a heavenly father who knows you by name. The Bible says he knows how many hairs are on your head. And that includes eyebrows and mustaches and everything. And some of y'all are making it really easy for him to keep count. But he knows you and he loves you. He's planned for you before he made the world. He has... I wish you could believe it. I wish you could hope for it. I wish there would be something born in you this morning that would almost feel a desperation like, God, could this be true for me? Yes, it's true. Yes, it's true. I don't care who you are or where you came from. I don't care your background, whether you've been a Christian your whole life or you just accidentally came here today. I'm telling you, God loves you. Oh, come on, can you tell him you love him back? Come on, can you tell him you love him back? Some people don't even know this. Some people don't know this. Some of us didn't know this. It's true. It's beautiful. It can change your life. It can change your life, when the reality and the truth of this hits your heart. We, we've seen, it is so tragic when people don't know this. We have seen the beauty and the innocence of, ch- of children. Come on, does anybody know what I'm talking about when those chubby little fingers reach up and wrap around your neck? Oh, come on, there's nothing better in the world. There's nothing better in the world to hear baby girl or a baby boy climb into your lap and whisper daddy or mommy in your ear and just love on you and you get their hot, sticky, nasty breath on your cheek and your ear and then they get off and something stayed when they got off and it's, there's nothing more beautiful. There's nothing more precious. And he says, I have adopted you as sons and daughters And I've given you the spirit and it's supposed to make you understand that you don't have to fear me again, but that you can call me Abba, Father, 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 Father. Like saying daddy, like saying mommy. So Cornelius sends for Peter and we talked about Simon Peter Last week, and God uses Peter again in an amazing way, an unprecedented way to go where no Jew had gone before into the very house of one of their hated Roman enemies. And he proceeds to tell Cornelius and his family and his friends the amazing and mind-boggling and paradigm-shifting news. Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And he goes on in verse 36, you know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Whatever your thoughts of God, can you imagine if every time you thought of God, it was a feeling of peace? 
if you didn't have that anxiety about church, if you didn't have the anxiety about life and its meaning and purpose and death and all of the other things that life throws our way, but that through Jesus we can have peace because he has loved us so fully, because he has loved us so undeservedly and so freely. There is now peace between us and what before was a scary and distant and not very well known God. Peter goes on in verse 43, and all the prophets testify, testify about him, about that Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The forgiveness of our past injustices. Those episodes and those chapters and those whole seasons of life that we wish so badly we could go back in time and get a do-over and we know that we never will. Those times when we pushed God away and we said no to his love for us. The times when we hurt the people in our own lives. The times when we made promises to people and broke our promises. The times when we thought those things, said those things, took those things Come on, somebody. In Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness of sins. And this is what Cornelius has been hoping for. He's been fearing God all along. He's been devout and he's been praying, hoping that God will notice. It's why he's been doing the good and why he's been doing the giving and come to find out what he was doing could never bring the peace between him and God. It could never earn his forgiveness, but what Cornelius could never earn was now freely given. Forgiveness sins. And while Peter was still speaking these words, in the middle of Peter's message, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And the Jewish believers couldn't believe it. The Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished. The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And it got crazy up in there. It got strange up in there. It was even a little childlike the way their language didn't seem to make sense but sounded like gibberish. It was childlike, yes, but it was not childish at all. It was the experience of hearts finding a father that they didn't even know they had. It was the expression of hearts who were hearing the door of forgiveness and the door of acceptance swing open and looking up and suddenly seeing standing there a heavenly father that they had been missing for so long. Come on, does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about those God-sized holes in our hearts that we have tried so hard to fill with career and money and relationship and then another relationship and then this thing and then another thing. All of those things that we have tried to put in the place of God when they heard Peter's words, they looked up and they saw God in the way that they had never seen him before in the way that he had always been standing by waiting for them to see him. And the beautiful experience of heavenly language came in a moment of purity when a childlike heart heard the door swing open and saw his heavenly father as he really is. New, different, crazy, exuberant, childlike, something completely out of the norm, something nobody had expected, something nobody had been looking for, but something that completely transformed their lives, completely changed their lives.
Come on, can you give God thanks for his amazing plan? I wonder this morning how you might view your relationship with God. I wonder this morning if all of us ever really think of the possibilities that exist in our relationship with God. Or maybe have we kind of become content or just, you know, kind of limited our expectations. You know, sometimes we're worried about being disappointed, right? So we just set our expectations low. Then nobody can ever hurt us. Nobody can ever disappoint us. And we bring the same hurt from humans into our, our view and our relationship with God. And we just live a shadow of a Christian existence. We live so far below our privilege and what God has offered to us. We, we, we give God Sundays, right? We go to what we call the Lord's house. And I really don't like calling this place the Lord's house. It's pretty demonstrable from the New Testament that a building is not the Lord's house anymore. It's you and it's me. It's his Holy Spirit coming to live inside of each and every one of us. It's not supposed to be a place that's only open a few hours a week, but it's supposed to be your heart that is open at every step and every breath you take and every moment of your life. That you, you, you and you and you and you would become the temple, the house, of the ever-present risen Savior. He would flood our lives with mercy and grace and love. But sometimes we tend to leave God at church, right? And I know pastor talks to God, so I better leave God at church so pastor could talk to him. I know some other people talk to God, and I better leave him at church where everybody else can find him, and I'm going to leave God there and go back into my life. And we miss out on the opportunity to walk out of this room, to walk out of moments like these, holding on to the hand of a heavenly father who loves you more than you could ever possibly know, who loves you more than you could ever understand and wants more for you than what you've experienced yet. Can we all stand this morning? What if you could begin seeing God with childlike eyes? What if you were awakened to wonder? What if you were awakened to wonder? I, I, you know, you should do this tonight. Here you go. Here's a date night tip. Tonight, when all the lights are off, or I guess the better way to say that is when the sun goes down. When the sun goes down, get on your car and drive out to the outskirts past all the lights and then park somewhere. Kiss your wife once or twice, but this is not just a regular date night. I'm trying to make it a Jesus date night. So, and then climb out of your car, lay on the hood of your car, wonder about the dent you're putting in it, and then take it to James on Monday. He'll fix it uh, but lay on your car and look up at the stars. Look up at the heavens and think about how big God is. How amazing God is. How full of wonder the idea and the concept of God should, you know, it should make us so full of just amazement at everything he is. But sometimes we try and leverage that for ourselves and for what is in it for us. But just to wonder and marvel at creation, at beauty, or maybe look into the face of your child, see the beauty of the innocence in a child. And, and then just in that moment, if you would do this, if you would do this, just listen for his voice. Listen for his voice and know that he so desperately wants to be just expected by you. But we don't have that. We don't have that. But imagine if every thought about God 
made us happy and excited and exuberant. Imagine if the story of Calvary and the cross and his love for us just completely just blew our minds. It exists, it's real, and it can change your life. Imagine what could happen if all of us decided we were going to chase more. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.